All right. Well, today is our last Sunday of the month, which means it is a family Sunday. Our kids, they're in here with our, with our treat bags. And kids, I'm glad that you are in here. I want you to be in here in services like this. Every last Sunday, you guys get to stay in here not only to worship God in song and in giving and in prayer, as we just did, but also to worship with us through hearing the Word of God and getting to respond to that. And so I'm, I'm excited for today. I'm excited that you're here with us. If you have your note sheets, if you've already pulled those out of your bag, I'll give you the title of our message, and you can start to write that down there. I think it's on the, the right side of your sheet. Today's sermon title is this, The Important Stuff. The Important Stuff. So it's going to be right there on the screen for you, and you can write that down. And while you're writing down our sermon title, I have a question for all of us to really think about this morning. How many of you have ever had to try and figure out what the important stuff in life really is? Everybody can kind of relate to this, yeah? Like, kids, you can think about school, for example. If you're told, hey, we're going to have a test in science class, or when you come back tomorrow, we're going to have a quiz in history, right? Or maybe you're an adult and you go to work and you're going to have a a meeting coming up on a certain topic. Then what all of us have to do is we all have to try and stop for a second and figure out, okay, what's the important stuff I need to know to prepare for that, right? Because it's not possible to know everything about the topic. You don't need to know everything about science. You don't need to know everything that took place in history. You don't need to know every possible thing for that meeting. But, But there's some important stuff that you had better be prepared for, better have in mind if you want to do well, right? And this can be hard to do, to figure out what the important stuff in life is. And sometimes we focus in so much on trying to get the little details right. Like that's one of my my tendencies. I, I I get really sidetracked by the little things, the details sometimes, that I can miss the big picture. And sometimes miss even the most important parts of something that I'm supposed to be thinking about. So I read this funny story one time about a, a lawyer and a politician who, who died about 80 years ago or so. And towards the end of his life, he was writing his autobiography. So an autobiography is a, it's a book about somebody's life, but you write it yourself, right? Okay. So after working really hard on this autobiography, he's trying to write down everything, get it all in order. And remember, he's a, he's a lawyer and a politician, so he's done a lot of different stuff. He, he's, he thinks, okay, I finally, I've got it all down, and I'm ready to begin this review process and, and get it printed and, and get it out there. And so he, he gives a copy to his wife and and. And says, hey, would you read this over and, and just tell me what you think? You know, what, do, I, do you like it? Kind of all that kind of stuff. And so she says, sure, of course. And she takes it and she reads it, all of it, front to back. And then she says, okay, now, is this everything? And he's like, well, yeah. I mean, I, I've spent, I spent a couple years on this. I did all my research. I got all those details in there. I thought, yeah, I, mean, I think that's everything. And she, and she responds, but Fred, weren't you ever married? Oh. Embarrassed, he realizes he worked so much on all the details and all the little things, he forgot to mention the most important thing. He was married. Didn't ever mention his wife, didn't mention a wedding, nothing. Just skipped over that entire part of his life, focusing on the details. That kind of thing can happen to people. It happens all the time, actually. It's surprisingly easy for little things, for details, to sometimes distract us from knowing and keeping the important stuff in our minds. And that's true even when it comes to being a Christian. If you're, if you're done writing down our, our title there, the important stuff for today's sermon, you can write down this reference for our, our scripture today. Psalm 77, verses 11 to 15. Psalm 77, 
verses 11 to 15. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. You can see it in front of you as we'll come back to that text multiple points throughout our message today. And of course, it'll be on the screens behind me as well. So Psalm 77, verses 11 to 15. Here's what we read. I will remember the deeds of Yahweh. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. For your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders, and you have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Now, this, this morning, what I want to do is I want for you and I, every single one of us in this room, to be able to do what the, the psalmist here, he's a man named Asaph, he's the one who wrote this psalm, what he realized he needed to do. And if you read the beginning of the psalm and, and you kind of go back to explore that, you'll see he's in a really difficult situation. Things are really um, troubling him. He's, he's so much in despair. He can't sleep at night. He just can't really focus. And, and this then, in verse 11, kind of turns to the solution. He says, you know, when things are really difficult, when I'm really struggling, this is what I need to do. And he moves to verse 11. And he starts talking about how he needs to remember the things that God has done. Remember who God is. Understand the nature of God and what he's like, because those really are the important stuff in life. In order for you and I to celebrate the things of God, which is what we've been talking about in this series that we're in, adults, right, for the last several weeks. We're, we're making this a year of celebration. We're talking about why we should celebrate. In order for you and I to celebrate, we have to be able to remember and think about the things that have happened in the past, right? We just had a, had a birthday party for Noah. Why did we have a birthday party for Noah? Because we were thinking about what took place when he was born and we thought over his life and we were celebrating him and what God's done through him. But in order to have that celebration, you have to remember the facts, right? And if we step back one step further, in order to remember something and to think deeply, to ponder something in the words of this psalm, well, first you have to know something, Right? So for a Christian, if we want to celebrate the things of God, we need to remember the things of God. But in order to remember the things of God, we need to know, we need to learn and know what God has done. So this is where I think we have to start in, in the Christian life. You, you really can't ever get to the results that, that we're talking about wanting in our lives, this idea of celebration, this idea of rejoicing and remembering and reflecting on things, if we don't first learn and really know about who God is and what he has done. Because growing in our knowledge of what the Bible teaches us is really the most important thing for all of us to do. That's true no matter how young we are or how old we are. You don't ever get past this point. For the last 15 years or so, this has been my, my every day of my life has been committed to studying the Bible, studying the things of God. And there's never going to be a point where that stops, where I go, hey, I've got it all figured out. I've mastered it. I know everything. I've got all the answers. That doesn't happen. I have to keep learning. I have to keep growing. That's true for you as well. And yet, the reality is, if we're honest about our own lives, most of us don't spend as much time learning and knowing about what God has done as we do learning and knowing about other things in our life, right? And not all of that is by choice. So kids, the, the, the perfect example is, is your lives at school. You don't get to choose what you, get, what you have to learn, right? 
The teachers tell you, well, you're going to study your math, you're going to study your English, you've got to study science, you've got to work on history. As you get older, you're going to be told, nope, you've got to put time in to these other things if you want to be in the business program or the ag program or music or you want to play a sport or do an extra activity. You're going to have to invest time. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to learn what's expected of you in those areas and put your time and put your energy there. The same is going to be true when you get to be an adult, right, adults? <laughs> We have to put a lot of time and a lot of energy into doing our jobs, learning to do whatever our positions might require of us. And if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, well, then there goes the rest of your time and energy, right? <laughs> Poured into that, learning how to do that. We don't have all the answers that we think we do before we have kids. <laughs> you learn that after you have kids. This is the reality, right? None of us have all the answers immediately. None of us just get all the knowledge we need for whatever it is we're doing in life instantly. Like, you don't just show up to preschool and on day one, oh, I can read, no problem, right? You don't start third grade and go, oh, yeah, multiplication, division, I got it all. Just walked in the door, done. You don't go into ninth grade and go, yeah, I understand everything about algebra, no problem. You know, I'm, I'm good, Miss, Miss K, that's awesome. Adults don't start your first day on the job and immediately know everything that you're going to need to do for that job, right? You're learning and you're growing. You've got to put time and energy into that process. And Christians have known this is true for the Christian life as well. For being a follower of Jesus, this is true. And so from the very start, Christians have been very intentional to make learning the truths about who God is and what God has done at the very core of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, Discipleship can't be detached from learning about who God is and what he has done. And that makes sense because Jesus told us this is the process, right? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, probably very important verses for all of us to be aware of and know by heart. Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And he says what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? So you want to be a disciple, you want to be a follower of Jesus. You're going to have to understand who God is and what he has done. You're going to have to be taught, and you're going to have to learn. And one of the, one of the Greek terms in the Bible, remember the New Testament was not written in English the way we read it today. It was written in a language called Greek, Koine Greek specifically. And one of the Greek terms in the Bible that's used to talk about teaching is the word katecheo. It means to instruct or to resound or to echo. And there's a reason why this is a particular word that I want us to understand today. In English, the word that we would draw from this Greek term is the word catechism. A catechism is a teaching method that uses echoing or resounding as the process of learning something. So you could say this, a, a catechism, if we were to define it, a catechism is a collection of key truths taught through a responsive method of questions and answers. So a question is asked to the person, and then they are going to give the answer back. This is how a catechism functions. Now, some of you automatically, when you hear the word catechism today, go, eh, that's, a, that's a Roman Catholic thing right? Like that's your, that's your whole framework for that. Well, the Roman Catholic Church does use a catechism. They have actually a, a massive catechism. Um, I have a copy in my, in my office of it. And they do catechetical teaching or they do catechism classes and they instruct all of the people that belong to the Roman Catholic Church in that way. But they did not create this method. And this method does not belong to the Roman Catholic Church. They just inherited what the church since the very beginning from the New Testament times was already doing. Catechism predates 
the Roman Catholic Church. It goes all the way back to the time of the apostles. In fact, that Greek word that I just told you about is in the Bible itself. You just don't see it because you and I don't typically read the Greek. We're reading English, and in English, it's mostly covered up by the word taught or instructed. But I'll give you three places where that text uh, uh, where that word occurs in the text. Luke chapter 1, verses 3 to 4 say, it seems good to me also, this is Luke writing about why he's writing the gospel. It says, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. And that word there underneath taught means what you have been catechized in. In Acts chapter 18, verse 25, we read that Apollos had been instructed, he'd been catechized, that's the word there, in the ways of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And if you go into the, one of the epistles in the letters to the Galatians, we actually find the teaching ministry of the church using this very word, described by this word in Galatians 6.6. 6, Let the one who is taught, the one who is catechized in the word, share all good things with the one who teaches, the one who catechizes them. So just for the, for the history lovers in the room, and there's a few of you with me here, this is why we have what's called the Didache, which is the, one of the earliest Christian documents that was written that's not part of the New Testament. It was written at the same time the New Testament letters were being written, somewhere between 65 and 80 AD, this, this document that we call the Didache was written, and what it is is a catechism book. It was a series of key core truths that the church knew every person who comes to be a Christian needs to understand before they can get baptized and before they can take the Lord's Supper. And so they taught them that, and then when they were, they were kind of good, they'd learned that process, they'd evaluated, yes, you've grasped those things, then they brought them into the church as a Christian. Going forward into history, like I said, the Roman Catholic Church did not create this idea of catechism. We know Cyril of Jerusalem in the 300s used uh, a catechetical instruction, received catechetical instruction, and gave catechetical instruction to others. Augustine in the 400s, John of Damascus in the 600s, all of them used catechisms extensively in their own lives and in the training of other Christians. So that takes us, if we jump way forward, the Roman Catholic Church, after it kind of comes to power and begins doing the things it's doing, you get to the time of the Reformation, and the, the, the church that recovers the gospel, recovers the importance of people needing to understand the Bible and grow in knowing who God is and what he's done. They looked back, and they saw, okay, Rome is using catechisms. So should we throw them out and do something different, or is there value there? And the church, at the time of the Reformation, said, oh, there's, there's great value in this method. And we're not going to use their questions and answers because they're teaching the wrong stuff. We're going we're to go back to the Bible and create our own catechisms based on the Word of God and use those to teach new Christians. So, so Martin Luther, who we've talked about quite a bit before, he wrote two catechisms in his life. The first in 1529, a smaller catechism he designed to be used in the home of Christians, parents discipling in the home. And then later produced a larger catechism that he meant to be used in the church and in the university, instructing theology students from the catechism. Pastors who were in Geneva, Switzerland, produced the Geneva Catechism in 1541. It was a much longer catechism, 373 questions and answers, split into 55 weekly lessons. That was their lesson plan and how they were going to study and teach the people. The Heidelberg Catechism was developed in 1563. First was written in German, but within a few years was translated into Latin, Dutch, French, and English because it was so well-loved and encapsulated such important key truths of the Bible. 
129 questions in the Heidelberg Catechism split over 52 Lord's Days. They were designed to be learned as a church, one a week, every week, getting through all 129 questions in a year. Still, that catechism is in use by churches today. John Owen, who is a brilliant Puritan pastor and theologian, wrote a lesser catechism and a greater catechism in 1645, shorter and longer. The Westminster catechisms, the shorter with 107 questions, the longer with 196 questions, was produced in 1647. Richard Baxter, another great Puritan pastor, wrote a catechism in the early 1650s for his own church and discipled the people in his town using that. And if we jump way far ahead and miss a lot of other great examples, go all the way to 1855, and one of my favorite pastors in church history, Charles Spurgeon himself, wrote a catechism to be used in his church in discipling the Christians there. So the reason I'm telling you all of this is because I want you to understand the history of catechisms has not been something constrained to Rome. It's been something the church has been practicing since the time of the apostles, and through every major era, people have looked and said this method of teaching is very, very valuable. See, the power of teaching with a catechism is that it's different than how information is conveyed in a sermon like this. See, in a sermon, it's really one way, right? I'm declaring to you with this kind of authority from the Word of God, and you're hearing it, and you're not really interacting, responding in the moment. You're receiving this one-way type of communication, but a catechism doesn't function like that. A catechism, like I said, it requires this response. It's kind of, if you could imagine it, kind of like a radar system works, right? A catechism is a method of both teaching truth, but also gauging understanding. So, so just like radar works, a, a question will be asked with a catechism, something's going to be sent out to you, and then when you respond, that, that information comes back to me, it helps me gauge where you are, what you know about something, right? Just like radar bounces back, and then you gauge, okay, there's, there's something out there, an object there, right? That's what a catechism does. I get to send out some information, and based on the response that comes back, gauge how well you understand that topic. So if, a practical example. If I'm asked someone the question, what is God? And the response I get from them is, well, God is a man who once lived on another planet called Kolob, who eventually became a god himself, and now is the spirit father of everyone who exists in this world. Do you know what that tells me about that person? They're nuts. No, it tells me that they're a Mormon, because that's what Mormons teach. That God was once a man who lived on another planet, a planet called Kolob, and then he became a god, and then he kind of gained all this power and became the spirit father over this world. That's their belief on who God is. And so if someone tells me that, then that, based on that response, I go, okay, I know where you are. You're in the, the Mormon religion, not the Christian religion. That's not what the Bible teaches, Right? But if I were to ask someone else, so if I were to ask Tobiah and Julia, for example, what is God, the response I get will be, God is the creator of everyone and everything. And you know what that tells me is these kids have been discipled, have been taught through a catechism, the truths of the Bible and the Christian faith, right? So if you come back to our our illustration from, from the beginning, I want you to understand how this works. A catechism is a tool that will help you and I, as Christians, figure out what the really big and important stuff to know and remember in life is. A catechism helps us identify what are the things I've got to be sure I 
know. There's a lot of things I could know. There's a lot of great things I could study. There's a lot of information in the Bible that I, I want to learn because I want to know what God has said. But, but if I need to, to summarize, if I need to get down to the core, the essential things, what are those? Well, that's where a catechism can help us. It's almost like getting a study guide for that test or that quiz that we're going to take, right? It's like getting an agenda for the meeting with the, the questions that you need to be prepared to answer ahead of time. This, this helps us. It's a great tool. So what we're going to do as a church is that on Sundays, when we gather together, both in the morning service and in our, our evening service, is we're going to start to recover this practice of catechetical learning, the practice of using a catechism to grow in knowing who God is and what God has done and what he's like. And I want you to understand that, that as I, I tell you this today, the, the whole success around the catechism in your life as a tool will not just be tied to how you interact with it here on Sunday mornings. And we will every single week when we come together. We'll, we'll interact with, with the catechism. But how you think of these things and practice these things and keep these things in your life outside these walls will determine if this is a really, really useful tool or just a tool that you take out of the toolbox and put back in the toolbox every single Sunday when you come. And so knowing that the success of a catechism, the impact of a catechism, is going to be driven by how much you're engaging with it is why I have chosen the materials that I have and that I'm going to tell you about today. So my first inclination and my, my desire was really to, to look at, at the heroes of the faith I mentioned, guys like Luther and, and Zwingli and Owen and Baxter and Spurgeon, and, and do what they did and, and sit down and write a catechism for our church, for us, and, and prepare that and then give you those things. And that's still my desire and my plan for the future, actually, after we, we start here. But I want us to start here because we have with us great uh, options available to us. And there's a, a modern catechism that I've selected that we'll begin working through together called the New City Catechism. Looks like, like this. It's a modern catechism written fairly recently within the last 10 or so years and draws on the rich history of the great catechisms of the faith, but, but makes it really, really accessible to you and I as modern learners who most of us in this room didn't grow up learning this way, or if you did, you're, you learned from the, the Roman Catholic method. And so what we're going to do is, is in this catechism, they designed it with two different versions available, and we're going to start with the simpler version, the version that says, for kids. <laughs> and we're going to learn this together, because I know that all of us can do this. No matter if you've ever been exposed to a catechism before or not, all of us can learn these questions and these answers. And so the way it works is, is really simple, and, and we'll begin this next Sunday when we come together before the kids go off to kids' church. We'll have a question that I will ask you, and I'll put it up on the screen for you, and I'll read you the question, and then when we're learning the answer, we'll just move right into the answer, and I'll read you the answer, and it'll be on the, the screen, and then we're going to repeat it together. And then we're going to do that a few times so that we can, we can kind of gauge how well we're, we're learning and help us as we say it together. So, so let's, try it, let's try it now. Let's, let's do an example. Our first question in our catechism is this. What is our only hope in life and death? That's our question. And I don't need you to figure out, okay, let me, let me uh, come up with an answer. I'm just going to give you the answer, right? You don't know yet what the answer is, so here's the answer. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. Okay, that's simple. That's short. I'm betting all of you in here possess the ability to read this on the screen or repeat what I just said. So let's say the answer together. That we are not our own, but belong to God. Okay, now let me hear you say it. 
So that's, that's not very long. Let me, let me read you the question again. So if I ask you, what is our only hope in life and death? Your response is? Okay, we're kind of fading a little bit, like on this side of the room. Let's, let's try it again. We'll just leave the answer on there for you. What is our only hope in life and death? Okay, that, that was pretty good. But, but anybody can read from a screen. So what if I took a couple words away? Could you still answer the question? What is our only hope in life and death? Oh, see, now that's really good. And if just the question was on the screen and you didn't have a prompt, and we said, what is our only hope in life and death? The answer would be... Okay, so that's it right there. That's, that's, the, that's the whole thing. You are going to learn truths about who God is, what God has done, what it means for our lives through the use of a catechism like this. And every week when we come together, we will have the opportunity to learn a new question or to review the question that we have uh, answer question answers we've already learned. And the success of this is going to go a lot better because I'm not going to put the answers up on the screen every single time for you as we're reviewing. So this is going to go a lot better if you're going to engage in this outside the church walls, right? Like when you're in the car driving home, hey, what was, uh, what was that question? What, what is our only hope in life and death? And then someone else says, oh, we are not our own, but we belong to God, right? And, and you practice that uh, on the way to school or on the way to work or when you sit down at the dinner table, you, you ask these couple questions. It doesn't take long. We rehearse these questions in our house almost every day, and it just takes a few moments. It's, it's not a long, drawn-out process. It doesn't have to be super, super complex. Nobody needs to be sitting down nicely because that's rarely what's, what's happening in our time. It's just seizing upon a few moments to ask the question, get the response, engage. Hey, is this really understood? Or, or are we struggling to, to grasp that idea, right? Using it like that, that radar system. So, so here's why I, I believe we can do this. I believe we I have every confidence in you and I that we are going to be able to learn these things about God and then remember these things about God as we use the catechism together. This, this catechism that we'll be using, the New City Catechism, has 52 questions in it. That's not a lot compared to some of those other ones. Like I mentioned, how many questions were in there? And to help you and I succeed at this, the way we will learn these and, and practice these is that I'm not going to make us do it over the course of one year, 52 weeks straight through. We're going to spend at least two weeks on every question that we come to. And as we learn them, we'll, we'll work on adding in some reviewing of the older ones as well. So every week, you're going to have a question asked to you. And, and for two weeks, it's going to be the same. We'll introduce it week one. Week two, we'll review it and make sure we have a grasp on it. And if we need more weeks on some of the questions, then I'll, we'll keep at that. So we're going to spread this out over a period of time so that you and I can succeed at learning these. Because our goal here is to be able to do what the psalmist said in our text that we opened up with, right? Psalm 77, verses 11 to 14. I will remember the deeds of Yahweh. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. For what God is great like our God. No, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the prophets. As you and I work on learning these things through this tool then we'll know what some of these really important things are that we should remember. That we should remember and call to mind when things are good and we're celebrating and it's wonderful. Or like the psalmist in Psalm 77, when things are difficult and rough and maybe we're laying awake in the middle of the night stressed about all these things going on around us. We can't sleep, we can't rest. Then, even then, we could call to mind these great truths if we have them embedded in our hearts. So what I have for, for every family here today is a gift for you to take home. 
It's one of these little booklets. This has all of the questions and the answers in it, all 52 of them, in a nice little compact form. Uh, this particular one that says the four kids on it has the, the shortened answers in it. And so that's what we're going to practice here is where we're going to start. I want us to succeed, so we're not going to start with lengthy things and drawn out things. We're going to start with simple answers. I and mean, that wasn't a long question or a long answer, right? We can, we can do this. And the other thing I would recommend to you is that this is a huge benefit of why I, again, chose this modern one that's published by, uh, this is published by Crossway, and they put great resources behind it. The reason I, I chose this in addition to them printing and, and mailing me all these nice little booklets is that there's also a digital version of this available. And so there's two ways to get at that. You can download an app on your phone, both Android and iPhone, and it's a fantastic little app. If you go into the App Store, search New City Catechism, download the app, you'll find all of the questions and the answers right there in the app. There's also added bonuses. There's devotionals. There's scripture references. My kids' favorite part is that there is also an audio version of every question and answer, a little song. So it asks the question in the song, and then it sings the answer. And this is what we do. Every time we learn a new question, I read the question, I read the answer, we repeat the answer several times, and then I play the song. And that's how we introduce a new one. And we just keep doing that until we've got that one down, and then we add another one onto the list. We start working on that, and we review the ones that we have already done. So if you go on to the App Store and you download the app, up on the top right corner, you'll have a little settings button. Click that. Click children's mode, because we're doing the simpler version. And you'll have everything that's in this little booklet right there at your fingertips all the time. One of the things we do driving, driving to school in the mornings is we review our catechism questions or we listen to a, a catechism song. So you can have this on your phone ready to go. You can put it on your tablet. You can go on your computer to newcitycatechism.com and find a web version of it there. So this is never going to be far from you, even if you misplace our, our nice little book that you're going to get to take home today. If you lose your book and you need another one, come see me. I'll get you another book, all right? The goal behind all of this, the goal behind introducing this into our church life, the, the training that I believe this will come is will help us learn key truths about God so, again, we can live out the command, the exhortation of Psalm 77, that you and I would be able, like Asaph, in the moments of our life, to say, I will remember the deeds of Yahweh. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Oh, Lord, your way is holy for who, what God is like, our God. You are the God who works wonders, and you have made known your might among the peoples. In order to remember, in order to meditate, and to think on those things, you have to know them. And this is a tool. The catechism is a tool to help us learn and remember who he is, what he has done. So the, the very last verse of this text that we started with at the beginning is verse 15, and that's where I want to take us here as we conclude this morning, because I want us to understand how you and I, as Christians, get the opportunity to celebrate because we have knowledge of something Asaph never could. See, he knew in part this to be true. Psalm 77, verse 15. God, you, with your arm, have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He knew that to be true from some of the things he knew of history, the things he knew God had been at work doing. But you and I as Christians get to look back over even greater span of history. And most importantly, to see what was still in the future for Asaph, what he still had not yet seen come to pass. And that is how God redeems people, not just from difficult situations, not just from, from hardships in life, but God has actually redeemed his people from the price and the punishment of sin. 
And so you and I, we, we have the great advantage when we remember the things that God has done. At the very top of the list of what God has done is the fullness of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has saved his people, all who will put faith and trust in him through his death on the cross. And so we have, again, so many great gifts given to us by God. And one of the greatest ways to remember the death of Jesus and to celebrate that is to get to take the Lord's Supper together as a church family. This is one of the reasons I love having you kids in here with us on Sundays like this is because many of you kids are, are Christians. You've made profession. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so the invitation of Jesus to his followers is an invitation to you too, not just the adults, it's to all of his followers to come and partake in this act together. And God knows that, that many of us learn in, in different ways, right? He made you and I to, to be the way we are. He knows how you learn and knows how I learn. And, and he's gracious then to give us a whole variety of tools to help us learn about him and who he is. So we have sermons. We have small group classes and, and, and little Bible study groups. We have songs that we sing that teach us truths about the Bible. And we have the opportunity to use tools like catechisms and questions and answers. But we also have this great gift of getting to hold in our hand physical objects that can remind us and point us to the heart of the gospel itself. So this morning, I'm going to ask Dale and Rodney if, if they'll come, and they're going to serve us the elements as we prepare to take communion this morning. These things, this bread, this juice, these are symbols that you and I, we get to see and we get to, to feel in our hands, we get to smell, we get to taste them as we hear from the Bible what it is they point us to, what the most important thing for us to know and remember in our lives is. Because to be a Christian is to have your faith in Jesus and his death. That's, that's the most important. That's what's represented by these elements. It's, it's that as we take in them, we're proclaiming we trust in Jesus and his work alone to save us. Jesus established this ordinance by telling us in Luke twenty two nineteen, do this in remembrance of me. So, gentlemen, as you begin to, to take the elements and serve us, if you're not a, a Christian today, then just let these things go by. Don't, don't take them, don't, don't eat them, because eating and drinking them is not going to save you. What makes this, this moment special for a Christian, thank you, is that it's an act of remembrance, an act of, of proclaiming. We, we, we believe, we know what Jesus has done, and we're trusting in, in that, that he is the one who has our faith for salvation. It's an act of remembrance. This is not, in this moment, a sacrament that will earn you salvation now. You must have faith in Jesus for this to have meaning. And in fact, the Bible tells us very clearly that if you take the Lord's Supper without faith in Christ, without having repented of your sins, without belief in the fact that these things represent the work of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for the salvation of his people on the cross at Calvary, then eating and drinking these things is a sin before God. But if you're a Christian today, and you don't have to be a member of this church or, or even regularly attend here if you're a, a guest with us. This moment is one that we get to share as a point of common ground between all of us who have our faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter what nation we come from, what tribe, language, ethnicity, what background issues we have in our lives. If you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, then he invites you and I to come together around this in unity, remembering Jesus Christ. Taking the Lord's Supper is a way to remind you of what really is the most important thing of all the important stuff. It's to draw you back to understanding that your salvation wasn't earned by you. You didn't do anything to accomplish this. 
The juice and the bread that we have before us here, they don't represent your life that was poured out. They're not representing your body and your blood. These things remind us of Jesus Christ, that he gave his life for you and for I, for all who would trust in him, that he has done everything needed to provide salvation and to redeem us. So God has established this moment for his church to practice throughout all the ages, all around the world, so that you and I would remember most clearly who he is and what he has done. That in this moment, we would find the greatest expression of what Asaph said in Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of Yahweh. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders and you have made known your might among the people. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So let me pray that we would have our minds and our hearts stirred up with this proper response before we take these elements together. Father, thank you for the clarity that we have in Scripture and the great gifts that we have from you in order to learn about you, who you are, what you have done, and what that means for us. And ultimately, Lord, we're grateful for the most important thing of all the important stuff that it is we need to remember. Jesus, we're thankful for the salvation that you have earned for your people. Thankful that you came as the sacrifice. You had your body broken and your blood was shed and you breathed your last on that cross because you had taken all the sins of your people. Those of us who stand here today, sit here today with faith and trust in you, you have redeemed us by this great work. And so we thank you for it. And we ask, Lord, that you would, in this moment, as we we take of these elements, you would stir up our remembrance. You would cause our hearts to ponder and to think deeply about what these things mean and and then to to feel the work of, of belief in this begin to transform and change us, Lord, to make us more like you, to live in a way that would glorify you. So help us in these moments, Lord, to make this not just a ritual, but a deeply significant moment in our lives of worship to you and remembrance of who you are and what you have done. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we read, and Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. And likewise, taking the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's take the cup together. These things are tools. They are symbols for us to remember the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ and the central place of salvation and the life of everyone who professes to follow after him. So I hope that that your heart is stirred up like my heart is. I I love weeks when we take the Lord's Supper together. It's it's an encouragement. It's a a way in which I I really believe in in a supernatural way. God kind kind of refills us with grace and with this renewed passion for him as we meditate on what Jesus has done for us. And I hope that's true of you. Here in just a few moments, we're going to, 
we're going to dismiss and we're going to go down and we're going to enjoy a, a much more substantive meal. <laughs> you know, eating this, this little bit of the Lord's Supper doesn't really, really fill us up. And yet we call it the Lord's Supper, or sometimes we call it communion because it speaks to the, to the unity we have with God, the relationship we get to have, the communion we have with, with Jesus Christ. And, and every time we do it, I, I pray that that's, that's growing something in you. And we're going to go down, we're going to have a meal, and we're going to commune and fellowship with one another. And, and, and I pray that that's beneficial and a blessing to our soul too. But I pray more than anything that, that as you walk out of this place today, you walk out here with a deeper love for Jesus and knowing more being able and, and convicted and ready to learn more about Jesus and who he is and his work and his love for you. And so I'm going to pray over our meal here in just a second. I just, I just want to tell you, all of you as your pastor, I, I, I love you guys. I really do. I'm grateful that we're together in this place that God's brought us together. When I thought about this sermon, I thought, remember the great things that God has done. And, I, and as I reflected on that, not just from the Bible, but, but from history and from our own history, I thought, well, all the great things you've done, God, is you've brought us all together, that this Sunday we get to gather, we get to celebrate our unity around this, this table. And so I'm just grateful for that. I'm grateful for what Jesus has done and how he's worked in your life and my life, and he's brought us all together. So let me pray a concluding prayer, a prayer of uh, blessing. We'll thank the Lord for the food and the fellowship hall and ask him to, to bless that. And then uh, we'll head down and, and, and jump in, grab your soup, sit down, and, and I'll come down in a moment. We'll get started. We'll have plenty of time for our, our meeting for discussion and questions and, and all of that. And um, after we dismiss, again, we'll just, parents with little ones, if they want to jump to the front of the line, that would that'd be a blessing for them. Um, and so if you don't have little ones, you know, let them, let them go. Maybe offer to help even. It'd be a great way to, to say, hey, can I hold something? Maybe, maybe not the kid, uh, you know, they, they might want mom or dad, but, but maybe you can carry a bowl for them or something like that. Help them get situated. It'd be a great blessing. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing over that and, and thank him for that gift as well. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the service that we have had today and the time together to hear you speak to us through your word, Lord, to, to focus our hearts through the, the sharing of this Lord's Supper together. And, and I pray, God, that, that you would work in us to give us a greater passion for learning about you and knowing things of you, Lord. Help us to use the tools at our disposal well, I ask. And Lord, I thank you for this afternoon, for this uh, great meal that's provided for us, Lord, for the opportunity to go down and enjoy uh, these things. And, and so I pray the blessing over those who have worked hard to, to prepare that and to coordinate all of that. And I ask that you would bless us, Lord, as we eat it and as we spend time together, Lord. Help us to have great unity in our hearts as we come together, Lord, in these times of conversation and communion, because you have brought us together as a body, Lord. And we're thankful for that. So we thank you for these things, Lord. Ask your blessing on them and the rest of our afternoon. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen.